Well, this is graduation Sunday when we're honoring those who are graduating and uh, especially wrapping our arms around our high school students who are graduating as they get ready to fly off to their next phase of life. We have two graduates who are going to be sharing this morning uh, some of their thoughts and testimony. First, we'll hear from Ryan Hetrick and then from Emily Allen. So, Ryan, I'd like to invite you up first, and uh, let's welcome Ryan this morning. Oh, yeah. You need a microphone, don't you? There you go. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Hetrick, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, I'll be graduating at Maple Grove in a few days. And next year, I will go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. So I'm going to kind of start from where it all began. I used to go to Southwestern for 10 years, and I just remember that I'd set my goals so high, I had huge aspirations, and I thought I did everything right, and for some reason I just couldn't accomplish my goals. I was so close, but I just couldn't get there, couldn't pass the bar. And I, I wondered why I came up short so many times, and I thought I needed a change in my life, and I did not have Jesus Christ in my life, and I thoroughly believe that was the reason why I didn't reach many of my goals. And uh, I think, like, kind of like a little um, picture, God has, like, all of his sheep in one field, and I wasn't really in the field. I was somewhere off in the mountains, and he was trying to bring me into this field, so... Uh, one of his first moves to help me get closer to him was for me, him to move me here to Maple Grove. If he would have asked me two years ago why I was moving to Maple Grove, it definitely would have been not because I was trying to find Jesus Christ. It was because of sports. And that's okay because in the long run, I came over here to find Jesus Christ. And I was at Maple Grove for about a year, and I still didn't join the church. And he knew that was my destiny to come here, but I didn't at the time. And he had one last-ditch effort to try to get me here and use my greatest weakness, uh, females. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. so I met this girl at school. Unfortunately, she's not here today, but she will be later on in the service. Um, and I knew her family really liked to come to church. So I'm like, all right, I'm coming to church for the first time. I'm going to see how this goes. Try to get to know her better. And the first time I came, it was, it was cool. Um, I was new to everything, but it was, I, I started liking it. I started to come more. Everyone at school couldn't believe I was going to church just for the girl. They're like, come on, man, really? And um, <laughs> uh, I started coming more, and I started, like, feeling something more. I don't know how to describe it. I started getting, like, this tingling feeling in my body. And I really started, like, taking in the messages that Pastor Bill and everyone was giving to me. So I decided to accept Jesus Christ in my life. And about one week later... One of my goals that I had like for four years was to win a Section 6 title in cross country, and I won. And so did my team. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And um, three days later, like my whole lifelong dream was to be a Division One athlete, and I got accepted into West Point to wrestle. And I just like, look back, I'm like, there's no way that this is just a coincidence, and it wasn't. And when you have Jesus Christ in your life and the Lord, he guides you in the right way. He, he's going to help support you. And you can achieve the things that you've always wanted. And my favorite Bible verse is 
commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. And I truly believe that if you listen to his word and you take in what he's trying to put out at you, your plans will succeed. He's the personification of greatness and all you have to do is open your door. He's on your doorstep. If you listen to his word and you commit to him, your plans will succeed. So I encourage all of you to uh, take in his word just like I have and um, try to uh, listen to him and your plans will succeed. I know for me that's what's worked for me and in the next five years I'll definitely be listening to his word and hopefully my plans will succeed. Thank you. everybody. My name is Emily Allen, and like Ryan, I'm going to be graduating from Maple Grove um, this week, and I'm headed off to Houghton College next year. <laughs> so I'm going to start by reading a Bible verse for you guys today, and this is from, if I can open it, Galatians chapter 4. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fulfillment of the time came, God sent his son, born through a woman and born under the law. This was so that he could redeem those under the law so that they could be adopted. Because you are now sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if you are God's child, then you are also God's heir. And then also to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. So um, as I'm graduating, I just, I'm taking a big step forward in my life. And so I wanted to talk today a little bit about a step that we can all take as Christians to draw closer to God. Um, God's word says in the book of James that if you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. And so I want to talk about committing yourself to, um, to God's ways and to God's plan, which is so funny because that's exactly what Ryan just talked about, and I didn't plan that. But um, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you think of? For me, it's often, you know, what am I going to do today or what am I going to wear today? But recently, I've tried to make it be something more like, okay, Jesus, I'm giving you today and I need some help today. So just take care of me and help me to follow your will and your plan. And um, the scripture that I read really talks a lot about this. Why would I want to give everything to God? Why would I want to have him take over my life and give up the control of my life so that he can have it? And this scripture really offers two main reasons that stick out to me. The first might be because I'm a slave. But the second option is because I'm a child. If I'm giving, if I'm giving my life to God because I'm a slave to him, it's because I'm working hard for him every day and I know that I have to because I'm um, in his ownership and I might not really want to, but I'm kind of obligated to. But if I'm doing it because I'm a child of God, it's because I love him and he set me free and I get to choose to do it and I choose to give myself to God because I love him, not because he's making me do it. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
when God sent his son to die for us. He sent him so that we could be free, not so that we would continue to live in the slavery that the law once held us under. So what I want to encourage you guys with today is that you are a child of God. And if you have Jesus in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit. And God calls you every day to commit your everything to him. But you don't have to do it because he's forcing you to do it. He set you free. You're not a slave. You can do it because you're his child and you love him. If you think of a family situation where um, there's a servant and there's a child, the servant obeys the father and the mother's instructions because he knows he has to. But the child does it because he looks up to his parents. He or she wants to honor their parents and obey them because they've spent so much and invested so much in them. And not only that, but they're an heir to their parents. So why wouldn't they want to invest in everything that their parents have for them? God sent his son because he loves us so much. And as I'm getting ready to go into my future, it's just a reminder to me that I am God's child and that I can choose every day. I have the opportunity to say yes to God. And so do each of you. Thank you. I hope you can stay for a little bit of time after this service because uh, Ryan is going to be baptized right out here in the gallery at 10 o'clock, right at 10 o'clock. Well, these two have done um, most of the heavy lifting for me in uh, my, my message preparation this morning. But I do want to take a look at Philippians chapter 4 as well, because we've been in Philippians for the last three weeks in this series, Flipped, Life Done Better, looking at how life in the kingdom of God is completely opposite in so many ways of the life that the world offers, and yet it helps us to live better. And as I read Philippians chapter 4... Uh, and knew that this would be graduation Sunday, uh, these, these ideas that Paul expresses here really just fit together with what we've just been hearing. So let me read for you Philippians chapter 4, and I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. My dear friends, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Friends, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you for speaking to us. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher here today. And may your word go deep down into our souls. Amen. Well, it's so good to hear from these graduating seniors and hear a little bit about their hopes and their dreams as they transition to this next phase of life. And we all have so many hopes and dreams for them as they move on. It's hard to, to put all those into words. But as we read Philippians chapter 4, there's a phrase in there that seems to sum it up, and that's this, stand firm, stand firm. He says right in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. That's what we want for these young people as they move on in life. That's Paul's hope for the Christians in the city of Philippi. And if you think about the people that you love and care for, that, 
that is a good way of expressing what we all hope for those that we, we care about, that they will stand firm. We hope that for ourselves too, don't we? That our feet will be firmly planted and will not slip out from under us. That our lives will stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, Paul encourages them. Not just stand firm, but stand firm in the Lord. That's the context of all this. This all happens when we have Christ in our life. When we're followers of Jesus Christ, he says, stand firm in the Lord. This is something that Paul tells people in his letters very often. If you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, there's five other times when he tells the Christians in various churches to stand firm. Have you ever lost your footing on something slippery? You know what it's like, right, to try to stand firm and not be able to do it? When, when Pastor Bill and I were in seminary, we lived in this uh, apartment house called Broadhurst Manor which sounds really lovely, but it actually looked like, like a Soviet military barracks. And, uh, <laughs> but it was cheap. It was really cheap. Uh, we were up on the second floor, and it had this big, long cement staircase. Kentucky doesn't get a lot of snow, but they get a lot of great ice storms. So after one of our epic ice storms, we were both kind of hovered at the top of these long stairs, looking at all the ice and saying, okay, well, we got to be really careful, but we'll hold on. <laughs> so Bill, Bill takes the first step. He, he grabs the railing, and he very gingerly puts his foot on the top step, and immediately, whoosh, his feet went out from under him, and he slid all the way down. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> About halfway down, he like, stiffens up to make himself more slippery, all the way to the bottom. Got some nice bruises all the way down. You know what it's like to lose your footing. I, did I laugh when that happened? I don't know. If I did, I'm sorry. It's not so funny when you lose your footing in life. And that's what Paul is wanting the, the believers to avoid. Stand firm. So... How do we do that? How do we stand firm in life? Well, there's so much in this chapter, but I just want to pull out three things. Three things that Paul says that will help us to stand firm. The first one is this, is that stick together. Stick together. He says in verses 2 and 3, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. There's these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. So if you're trying to think of names for your twin girls, there's a couple possibilities that nobody else will have used. They'll be the only Euodia and Syntyche in their kindergarten. These two women apparently, Paul says, worked side by side with him for the cause of the gospel. He calls them his co-workers, people who obviously had been really important in spreading the good news, had been leaders in the church with him in, in Philippi. And uh, 
Apparently, there's a dispute between them. He says, I plead with them to be of the same mind. He says, please find a way to come to peace with each other. Work out your differences. Paul knows that we cannot stand firm without help from each other. Part of the Christian journey is the fact that we're in community together. We can't follow Jesus as lone rangers. We need each other. And this, this is getting, I think, in our culture increasingly difficult. Everything in our culture tells us, take your stand, draw your lines, and if people don't agree with you, let them know, publicly if possible. Like on Facebook if possible, right? That culture of sort of blasting anyone who doesn't agree with you and calling them your enemies is really gaining momentum, I think, in our culture. We're so divided, you know, Republican versus Democrat, gun control versus uh, the Second Amendment, build a wall versus give me your tired, your poor, We can all find things to disagree with others about. And Paul says, we can live a different way. That Christians have a different way to live. That it's possible for us, because of God's spirit living within us, to stick together. That people are not things we just discard when we disagree, and sometimes we disagree about really important things. And I'm not saying just paper over our differences, but in the body of Christ, there's always more to unite us than there is to divide us. And we cannot stand firm without healthy relationships. So Paul says, stick together. We We can nurture by the power of the Spirit. We can nurture healthy relationships even when it's tough. We can be practicing and getting good at apologizing. I always encourage couples when I'm talking to them before they get married to to get good at apologizing because you're going to need it. (laughs) And get good at offering forgiveness and get good at receiving forgiveness. That's the kind of thing that that God's spirit makes, us, makes it possible for us to do. We need each other. Stick together, Paul says. Next, Paul goes on to say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is verse 4. I will say it again. Rejoice. And in verse 6, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I heard about a woman who kept a box in her kitchen that she called the worry box. And whenever something troubled her, she would write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the box. And then she resolved not to think about her problems or worry about her problems as long as they were in the box because the box was going to do the worrying for her. And it enabled her to put her troubles out of her mind. Occasionally she would take a slip of paper out of the box and and review the concern that was written on it, but she found that it had been drained of its anxiety 
because it was just on a piece of paper contained in that box. And a lot of times she discovered when she pulled a piece of paper out that that thing that she was going to be worrying about no longer even existed. The problem didn't even exist anymore. I was challenged once to uh, give up worry for Lent. You know how we are often encouraged to give something up for Lent. And uh, I was challenged to give up worry, and I thought, hmm, that seems a little impossible. (laughs) But this person said, no, no, it's really possible. So I said, okay, I'm going to try it. It's possible. I never, never would have thought. But that Lenten season, those 40 days, whenever I was tempted to be anxious about something or worry about something, I would say to myself, oh, no, I can't worry. I I gave up worry for Lent. So I would just pray or do something else and not worry, and it was amazing. Paul says we can choose to rejoice instead. That's the second thing. We can choose to rejoice instead. We don't get to choose our circumstances, but we can choose our attitude in each circumstance. And he says rejoice, not in the circumstance, but rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, people who are madly in love are happy, no matter what the circumstances, no matter where they are, And I think when we have the Lord in our lives, it's the same kind of dynamic. No matter what our circumstances, we can have this deep joy because we know Christ is with us, that he's living inside us, that we're never alone. Elton Trueblood, who is a theologian, said this, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. To stand firm when life is challenging, choose to rejoice instead. So that's the second thing. Third thing is this. Think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did any of you ever watch that TV show called Cutthroat Kitchen? It's one of those crazy cooking shows where there's a contest and there's three or four chefs and they all have to try to make some um, delicious tasting dish in a limited amount of time. But what makes it cutthroat is there's there's all these... um, sort of sabotages that happen. Partway through cooking, someone can take away uh, all your, like take away your stove and make you do all your cooking on a Bunsen burner or something like that. Sometimes they take away one contestant's all their good ingredients that they've chosen and give them some really gross ingredients. Like they might be working on surf and turf and, and they get all their steak and seafood taken away, and they're given a can of SpaghettiOs and some fish sticks, and they somehow have to make that taste like surf and turf. The quality of the ingredients affects the final product. Paul is telling us here that the same is true for our lives. The quality of the ingredients that we put into our lives 
affects the, the final quality of life that we'll end up with. Think about what you're thinking about, he says. Consider carefully what you immerse your mind and your heart in. What we think about, what we look at, uh, what we focus on. Those things greatly shape our imaginations. They form our expectations and they ultimately set limits on what we believe is possible. It's really easy to fill our lives with mental and spiritual junk food. But it does have consequences. David Lose puts it this way. He says, perhaps we are shocked when others do acts of kindness and less prepared to do them ourselves because we've spent too much time reading news media where the controlling maxim is, if it bleeds, it leads. Perhaps we're numb to the goodness all around us because we focus too much of our attention on what is wrong with the world instead of what is right. Perhaps we're dull to beauty and kindness because we've attuned ourselves too precisely to the sin of this world instead of the grace with which God also imbued it. We cannot ignore the problems of this world and just put ourselves in a happy little bubble. But we cannot expect our souls to survive only on the problems of this world. If we're watching the news for four hours a day and reading our Bibles for 10 minutes a day, things are going to be out of balance inside of us. Think about what you're thinking about, Paul says. Give your life some good ingredients to work with. Whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, admirable, he goes on and on. Each and every day we're invited to make a choice. We will see lots of things, beautiful and terrible, wonderful and awful, good and bad, encouraging and discouraging. Which will we focus on and remember and share with others? It makes a difference in our souls. It makes a difference in this world that we live in that so much needs us to be a positive movement in this world. So think about what you're thinking about, Paul says. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stick together. Rejoice instead and think about what you're thinking about. And the bottom line, the bottom line is how he ends this, this whole letter to the Philippians, these people that he loves so much. Look at the very last verse. He says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace. That's what we're really all standing on. That's how we really stand firm. That's how we do all these other things like rejoice instead and stick together and think about good things. It's all through grace. It's that gift of God's favor that we don't deserve, but that he's offering us and asking us to receive.
And we get to choose whether to receive that grace, receive that forgiveness, receive that salvation and presence of God in our lives, or to reject it. If you're trying to do this on your own, to stand firm, it's exhausting. (laughs) But by God's grace, he holds us up. He sets our feet on solid ground. And we can trust in his grace. So friends, let's stand firm. And let's experience this upside-down life that Christ has for us. It is the best kind of life we could ever have. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the unexpected and amazing things you do in our lives when we let you in. We could never have predicted that victory and salvation would come from dying to ourselves and taking up a cross and following you, losing our lives in order to save them. But God, you are a God of the unexpected. And so we give you our lives, such as they are, We give you ourselves again, or maybe for the first time today. And God, we ask that you would do amazing things in us and through us. And for any of these things that we've looked at today, Lord, relationships that need healing, freedom from worry, a readjustment, of the food that our soul is living on. We ask for your grace. God, move us, change us, heal us, make us more like you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.